What's happening? What's happening? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Contract class. Love those. Okay. So you guys, uh, you, you guys have a treat for you because um, Mr. Joe Daner is, is one of the agents who does a ton of business and is active in this market. So he's on the buy side and the sell side of a lot of these opportunities to learn. Uh, so we're going to hear from someone who's actually doing it as well. Um, I myself also have a, lo a, a lot of different people that are buying and selling. So, you know, we're actually active in the market. We're seeing the things that are happening. We're fighting with uh, the other side. We're working with the other side. We're doing everything we can. So we're going to talk about navigating and negotiating multiple offers and uh, ways that you can put your buyer and your seller to a benefit and things you should and should not do. Uh, so I'm going to jump in and share the screen if that's all right with you, Joe. Do you got anything you want well, you know, of, while you're doing that, speaking of the wild market, so I listed a property yesterday at one o'clock and I have 35 offers, uh, 35 showings scheduled and five offers in already. And that's since one o'clock yesterday. One o'clock yesterday. Holy heck, dude. That's crazy. It is a crazy, it is crazy. All right. So that's what we're talking about today. So what, well, the first thing we want to talk about is, you know, why is this happening? I mean, you've heard us mention this in nearly every single meeting we talk about and uh, the introductors introduce introductions to this class as well. So why we have this, it's there's low inventory. The supply and demand is just dictating that there are not enough homes for the amount of buyers that are shopping here. We also see low interest rates. You know, you have to see what our market has that no other market has. When you start looking at and breaking down everything that the Tampa Bay market has, the economic table that we have here, we have so many legs to the economic table that if any one of them falls, there's still a lot more of them to hold up the economy that's here. So we have a lot of people that see that from all across the country and other areas of Florida. They're saying Tampa Bay is a great area. We have institutional investors that see Tampa Bay as the big place to be, and they're buying as many homes as they can here. And it's just creating a lot of demand in our area. Joe, can you select the green to get the background to show I, on your green screen? I, I did that. It's, it's still not working. I had it working before we came on. And then when you switched me in no, it. Uh, you may have to do the same thing again. When you rejoined, it may have reset that setting on your Zoom. So if you can go to the uh, video in the bottom, uh, click on that down arrow and try and do that one more time. Let's I, see if it'll fix it. It check. I have it checked, so I don't know. Let's hold on. Let's see. There we go. There go. Hey, there, you there go. we go. All right, awesome. It, it dropped. It dropped the background for some reason. Okay. So that's 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 what's going on. I mean, we, and then also you start looking at what happened during COVID. A lot of builders slowed down. So there was a lot of builders, a lot of suppliers, everybody kind of slowed down a little bit for about 60 days because they didn't know what was going to happen. And during that time frame, people still bought and then everybody started flooding different markets. So they're behind. We don't have enough homes. There's a little scarcity in a lot of areas. There's people buying homes everywhere. It's just an unbelievable time. And the buyers are getting the lowest interest rates that they've pretty much ever got. I mean, a difference of 1% is a difference of two to $300 a month on our average home. So when you look at that, that's a huge difference for them. You know, and, and just the economy changing where people are now working from home and their, and their employer doesn't care where they work. So they can move from a high tax state to Florida, get, get a pay increase of six to 10% 
and and they don't need a snowblower. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> it is, it, you know, it, it is. I mean, why wouldn't anybody do that? So, yeah. So some things that you want to do before you either put the property on the market or go out with your buyer is expectations are key. Setting the right expectations with your buyers and with your sellers is absolutely key right now. So letting sellers know what to expect, how many showings, how much interest you can anticipate or what the market has been dictating and what probably will happen here. Giving them that input, letting them know that we need to put our best foot forward because we need to make buyers feel confident paying 20, 30 grand over because it might happen. Buyers, letting them know our market is showing I'll pull up the last few listings and show them this home was listed for X and it sold 30 grand more than that and show them all of the homes that have sold like that in their area. It's a lot easier to tell them that up front than it is when you're sitting down to write an offer and you find out that they're the old school mentality. I offer 10% less and negotiate somewhere in between. You know, not everybody's heard about what's happening all, all day long here. No, well, then that's one reason big reason to, to tune in to the morning huddles because Craig goes Craig goes through that stuff and shares the stories. I mean, we had Jessica with 72 showings and 52 offers on our listing last week. So, you know, when I sat down with my sellers last week, I said, all right, let me explain what you're going to do. You're going to vacate the house between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. because we're going to have people coming in every 15 minutes here looking at the house. And they thought they were kidding me until last night when they didn't get home till seven o'clock and people were still in the house. And, you know, finally they go, oh my God, you know, cause they're getting, they're getting a text message every time there's a, a, a confirmation of a showing. So their phone is blowing up like mine is. So uh, that is a huge thing to set that expectation. Cause if you didn't set that you would have a seller so upset with you that, you know, that they had, a, they didn't realize they were going to have to get out of the house all day. Yeah, absolutely. So setting expectations is key. And then when we're talking about, you know, the buyer side, so that's, we're going to start with that, just navigating through the buyer side and, you know, with uh, competing offers, multiple offers. So uh, just different key points to, to understand, to follow through with, to try and make sure that you stay on top of uh, number one, I think this is one of the most important things when you're going to be working with uh, working with a buyer and they're writing an offers. Call the listing agent. You've heard us mention multiple times. It's a, we are in the people and communications business. We are not in the real estate business. We're in people and communications, and we just happen to sell houses. It's absolutely imperative that you can build the greatest rapport. If, if the greatest rapport, if I don't talk to that listing agent, guess what I am? Just another piece of paper just another email with an offer. That's all that I am. I need to find a way to stand out with them. And the best way I can stand out with them is to be like them because people like people who are like themselves. So if I can connect with them, build rapport with them, remind them that I am like they are and I'm somebody they could like, should like, would want to work with. And I know what I'm doing because I crafted the perfect offer exactly like what they asked for, gave them everything they wanted. I stand a better chance of getting our buyer's offer accepted. Chris, have you, have you ever gotten an offer from another agent because you did a deal with them before and they liked you? Absolutely. Yep. You know, they, they get a bunch of people offers and they're all pretty close together and they go, Hey, I worked with Chris before he was great to work with. I didn't have any problems. We cleared a close. I didn't have to babysit him. 
let's pick him. Yep. Get next and get him talking too. ask some questions. The more questions that you can ask, the more they're going to start talking. And every little thing they say is something that can set your buyer apart. Like this isn't so prevalent, but I had a buyer wanting to buy a home. I called the listing agent and said, hey, I understand you have a pool home and I'm sure you're pretty busy with showings. He goes, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Um, I said, I've got a buyer who's a conventional approved and does not need closing costs. And he went, he, wait, he doesn't need closing costs. If you don't need closing costs, get me an offer. We were planning on offering over asking price for the home to make sure we got it. We ended up offering just at asking price and got the offer accepted because every other offer they had was asking for closing costs. So just the simple fact of having conversations made them open up and made them say something that gave me the ammunition that I needed to be able to get my buyer a better deal on the home when we would have paid seven grand more for it. Hey, the, the good agents right now, when they're making appointments and they're asking me questions, guess what they're asking me? What, what's, the, what's the date the seller wants to close? Is there a date? Is there anything that they really need? Uh, and this is where you, know, you need to be talking to your seller. Do you need to be in the house a little after closing to pack Bingo. up? All right, do you, uh, do you need a rent back? Do, is it free? How long do you need? When do you, oh, your kids are in school and they don't get out till May 30th. So you, when do you wanna pack up and close? So finding the most you can about your seller will help you on the buy, you know, when you're the, when a buyer agent's calling you that you can have the perfect offer. Cause guess what? If you don't have to negotiate a lot of terms when you get an offer and the offer comes through and, and it's executable, what an easy day that is. Yeah. <laughs> you gave you me the answers to the test, right? Yeah. So. You don't always have, you don't always have in realtor remarks, or if you don't call and ask, how do you know that the seller might need 90 days because that's when their new home is going to be completed. And if you try, let's do a quick close. We'll give them exactly. I think they want a quick close. Probably they just want to get out of here and be done with. No, they need 90 days, but you didn't call and find out. Lauren, you made a good point. They're called cooperating agents. We're yeah. called cooperating Co agents. The more we cooperate, the better it's going to be for all of our, all the parties involved. So, and some agents don't get that, but that really, they, they are the cooperating agent on the, on the transaction. Yeah. That's and something right now that a lot of sellers are concerned with. I can't find another home. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that. So what if your buyer was able to say, Hey, I'll give them as long as they need to find another home. As long as we close within four months, as long as we close within three months, or as long as they're willing to accept an offer like this, because I'll have to extend my rate lock for this long if I don't get it, but I'm willing to give you whatever it takes. What if you're able to work those things out, but you don't know, unless you ask, you don't know, unless you communicate. Yep. Good. Knowing, know the, your buyer's lender. Oh my goodness. Close dates. Can your lender close in 30 days? Can your lender, what do they need? 45. I mean, you, you, you should be having that conversation long, long before you're actually making an offer. Ask your buyer for their lender's information and have a conversation with them and make sure that they don't need closing cost help and stuff like that. Because sometimes first time home buyers don't really understand the questions you're asking and they just agree or, you know, so you really sometimes have to go three questions deep. Yep. So, so they understand what closing costs are. They don't, Oh, I have a VA loan. I don't have to, I don't have to pay anything. No, no, you have closing costs. So, you know, that's really, really important.
also, are they pre-approved or are they pre-qualified? Yeah. Is there a difference? Now, there's a big difference, especially if you have a, a good listing agent on the other side who, when they get the offer, picks up the phone and says, hey, Chris, tell me about Joe Diener. Is, have you pulled his credit? Did you, have, you, have you gotten his tax returns? Um, and and what are, are you good? Are you, are, have you gone to un, uh, underwriting with him? You know, uh, so um, that's all really important because when I'm a listing agent, I'm calling because I'm asking the lender questions. You don't. I don't execute until I talk to the lender. Yep. I just don't. And and I and I'm saying, can you close in 30 days? Because that's what your 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 contract the contract says. Oh no, we need 45. Now it draws a red flag to me that that buyer agent has never talked to that lender. There's, so, there's one specific lender that I can think of that always needs 45 days to close. Maybe and, I and I received an offer for a listing that said they would close in 25 and it was using that lender. And yeah. when I called the buyer's agent and asked, have you verified? Because they typically can only close in, in 45 days. I've never had them agree that they can do it sooner. They try and sometimes they do, but it's only a few days. The buyer's agent said no, because they had not communicated. And they had no idea. They wrote a contract that said they were going to do that. So just be aware of those things. Call the lender, speak to the lender, pre-qualified or pre-approved. Have you verified everything like Joe said? Or did you just ask them questions and they said, I make this much, I have this much money in the bank and here's my social security number and you could see my credit score is good. Hey, based on what you told me, you're qualified to buy this home. But once I verified it and you gave me tax records and you gave me income statements and you gave me all that, now I'm going to approve you. You are pre-approved for this loan. One step further is, you're in a, you're, we are fully underwritten. We took everything we have, gave it to the underwriter. They gave us an approval. All we need is a contract to get final. And that's something that you may want to try and push for in this market. It's going to make you stand out. That's going to be a huge difference. So communication with your lender is key. Right. I, you know, there's so many little things that you have to remember all, you know, doing all this. And hopefully some people are taking some notes and making little check boxes as you go along. But it, it's so important, your seller or buyer, whoever you're representing, they've hired you as a professional and you're supposed to know the processes, right? That's, that's what you're, you're hired to know the processes of what's going on. And one of those key is this, the lender part, because that will make or break a deal. If, if you accept an offer 30 days and two, and two days later, you get a call going, we need 45. Well, what if you had two other offers that were fairly close, but could have done 30? All right. Okay. So it's, it is important to make that phone call. And you know what? It's really, you have the power. You can call that buyer agent and say, I would really love to execute this contract, but I need to talk to your lender first. Can you have him call me? <laughs> that usually gets, and, and here's the funny part, Chris, today, there's so many big box lenders that you go in and say, I make this much and this is much. And all of a sudden it produces a pre-approval letter and no one's ever talked to you on the phone. Yep. It's happening so, all the time. Yeah. Now also about their approval. So we, I, I keep seeing this that, well, if, um, if it doesn't appraise, I'm willing to pay more. Okay. Well, I need to verify that. So has your lender verified that you have the funds to do that? No, no, it's good. I've got the money. Well, that doesn't matter to me. 
if you have the money and you say you have the money, that's fine. But the money that you have may not be a sourceable, uh, may not be a verifiable source of income and money that the lender will give you credit for. I need to make sure that that money has been seasoned in an account and is sourceable by the lender and that you'll be able to use it. So the lender has to verify that you're able to do a 20% down loan, but if it doesn't appraise, you'll be able to come up with 25% if you need it. The lender has to be able to verify that. So we need to make sure that that's clear as well. That's happening a lot right now. And we need to make sure that the lender says, yes, the funds are there. And speaking of that, I got a pre-approval letter for a client two weeks ago. And in the pre-approval letter says they needed closing cost help. All right. They needed. And so I called the lender and I said, are you sure they need closing costs help? Because that's going to be a deal kicker, a quitter for anything right now, right? And he goes, oh, no, we just didn't go through and verify assets. So when we don't verify assets, we just say they need, they need uh, closing costs. So yeah. basically, so I called the buyer and I'm like, do you have, you know, 3% for closing costs? They're going, yeah. I said, okay, I want you to send your bank statements to your lender because you're not even going to be in the ball game asking for 6%. I mean, I'm not even going to put you in my car. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's not going to happen. So it, that's why it's important to call that loan officer because now guess what? They reviewed their assets and, and they could take that off their pre-approval. And now I have a chance to getting them a house. See now, once we get to the point and get all this out of the way, now you can write offers. <laughs> and when we're writing offers, what we're seeing now is that homes are going for above list price. Yeah. And how many buyers still have that mentality that I don't pay any, I don't pay more for anything. I'm never going to pay more than the home appraises for. I won't do this. I won't do that. And we have to start talking to them in terms of payment over price. And now more than ever, payment over price is a huge discussion to have because are you willing to pay or a buyer is going to say, I'm not going to pay $10,000 more for that home. I said, you won't pay $10,000 more? Well, here's the thing. You're <laughs> not paying $10,000 more for the home. And follow me on this. For every $50 a month in your mortgage, that equals approximately $10,000. So are you telling me you're not willing to pay $50 more a month to get this home? Because that's realistically what you're paying. $50 more a month, not 10 grand. It's 10 grand more if you went through and paid every single payment on this. But the reality is you're gonna be in this home or the average person is in a home for five to seven years. So if you pay $50 more a month for the year, that's $600. And if you move in five years, you really only paid $3,000 more for the home because you paid $50 more a month to make sure you got this home. Would you be pissed off, upset, aggravated, or mad with me if I wasn't able to get you this home because you weren't willing to pay $50 more per month for this home? It's a good conversation to have. And if you look in the next line, this Joe's, Joe's statement to all everybody is says, look, a $201,000 mortgage is only $4.22 more than a $200,000 mortgage. So don't tell me you don't want to pay $1,000 more because it's $4 a month. So I, I had a client one time, buyer and seller, and they were $1,000 apart. And I said to the buyer, I said, so, so you understand $1,000 to the seller is $1,000. $1,000 to you is a Big Mac. So are you losing this house for a Big Mac or, you know, and by the way, 
that $4.22 will take you 15 years to pay that back yep. on, that, on, that, on that loan. And you're only going to be in the house for four or five years. So yeah. let's, let's. They're, they're key differentiation points. And what it is, is changing the basis point. The same way when someone objects to commission, you change the basis point. Is it about the commission you're paying me? Or is it about how much money I can put in your pocket? And we'll talk about this in the next slide more. And you change the basis point on the buyer. Is it about what you're paying for the home? Or is it about how much you're paying per month for the home? Because the reality is, if you pay $300,000 for this home now at, let's just say, 3.2 or example, last year when I bought a home, interest rates were 3.25%, about a, a little more than a year ago. So and I paid what I paid for my home at 3.25% interest. If I waited and bought the same home a year later, the interest rates were 2.6 and it saved me $280 a month. So when you're talking to a buyer and saying, look, you're telling me you're waiting for the prices to go down, but if the prices go down, what's going to happen is interest rates are going to go up. Mm -hmm. If interest rates go up a percent, that's almost about $300 a month for what you're looking at. And that $300 a month means prices would have to drop by $60,000 for your monthly payment to be the same. So you, are you going to wait for prices to drop $60,000 at a 3.6? Or do you want to buy it right now at that payment with a 2.6 interest? You ju you're just going to pay 300 grand. So the difference between a 3.6 at 240 and a 2.6 at 300, their payment's the same. So having those discussions with them and getting to understand that it's about payment, not price right now, because the money is nearly free. That's a huge conversation to have. Yep. So terms of the offer, talk a little bit about terms of the offer that when you're writing offers, some of these terms that you're using and why you're using them. Escalation clause. Um, we developed that, well, we used it a lot in, in Maryland when I lived in Maryland in 04 and 05. And when I got down here, <clears throat> I brought it with me and we started <laughs> using it down here to get us, you know, to get us. And this is, this is something, this is when you're working with a buyer this is something you have to discuss today. You know, we live in America and we all think that the price on the sticker is what we're gonna pay, except when we're buying cars and houses, right? And then we think it's overpriced. We want it, we want it for a little less. In this market, the price on the sticker for a house is the starting point. And, you know, as I explained to my seller the other night when we were establishing the price, I said, we're gonna put it here and the market, the buyers are gonna determine the price of the house because they always determine the price of the house. The seller doesn't, the buyer does. The buyer says, this is what I'm willing to pay for those plaster walls and what you did in your house. So the escalation clause is just merely a means um, to, to get a house to, we don't know what offers are when multiple offers, right? We don't know, we don't know what other offers are coming in. So it basically says, this is the net, and we, we're going to offer $1,000 or $500 over your best net offer. Um, and, and we're willing, you know, to. Yep. to well, it's a good, it's a good clause to we're use. We're going to put it an auction, right? So. Yeah, basically, when you have a buyer who's basically saying, hey, I mean, I, I still want you to get me a deal. Like, well, here's what I can do for you. Like, I mean, it's listed at 300 and we don't know what it's going to go for. You can offer them 300 and just put in that you'll escalate up to X, say 325, and you'll beat the next highest offer by a mm -hmm. thousand or two thousand dollars. 
bona fide verifiable offers. You have to prove to me you had that better offer and I'll beat it by a thousand. If nobody offers better, you're paying 300 for it. But if somebody offers better, you really want this home, you'll beat that offer by a thousand or two thousand dollars. Just know that somebody might be offering more than you. This escalation clause puts them in a position where they might be able to pay as little as possible, not quite their max, if nobody else was offering that high. So it's 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 a tool that you can use to discuss with the with the buyers that way. Uh, the other terms of your offer when you're putting it in there, escrow is so important. I know Kat and Craig hammered on that pretty hard. So additional escrows and as, uh, initial and additional. Make sure you're giving both initial and additional escrows. Okay, Chris, I want to I want to put some. So so uh, one of the offers that came in for one of my houses was the house that's on the market right now. Had uh, you know it's a, it's a house that's set five thirty eight. So it came in, I won't talk about the price, but it had a thousand dollar escrow on a 538,000, no additional escrow. <laughs> All right. And, and I, and I really want to pick up the phone and have a conversation with well, you. What did it, what did it make you think? So when you saw a thousand on 500, what was your thought? Uh, well, first of all, uh, first of all, I have an agent on the other side who doesn't know how to, to talk to the buyer and say, you know, in customary is 1% of the, of the value of the, of the house customary. And, and in this market, as, as Jeff Beggins would say, you know, put our best, best offer forward and a best offer would be, all right, I'm, I'm, it's an 80, 20 loan. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put a decent escrow and maybe an additional deposit of some kind of money after, after um, inspection to make it a great offer. Sure. But, but when I see something for $1,000, what seller is going to take their house off the market for a $1,000 deposit? What's your, yeah, what you're showing the seller and the listing agent is, look, we're serious. I'm willing to put more skin in the game because I'm going to give you at least 1% or 2% or more right up front. Right, I'm going to give you that up front and show you that I'm serious like everybody else, but I'll do you one better. Once you prove to me your house is in good condition and I'm moving forward with it, if you even have an inspection contingency, once right. you prove that right. to me, I'm going to prove to you that I'm, I'm a verifiable buyer. I'm going to give you another 10 grand. I'm going to have 20, 30, 40 grand. I'm going to have every dollar that I have to bring to closing in escrow if that means it gets me the home but you're showing them you're serious. Once you prove to me, I'm going to prove to you that I'm serious and my financing is golden because I'm not worried about losing this money because I'm good. Those are the things that you're trying to prove to them. You know, a closing date, we talked about that, verifying the closing date, making sure that everybody is on, is on point and the lender knows what the closing date, well, you know when the lender can close and you know uh, when the buyer and, or when the seller can close as well. Inspection periods. Right now, I mean... Does a buyer really need more than five days to do an inspection? No, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I certainly, if I was writing the offer, I would pick up the phone to my inspector and say, "Hey, I, if I get an offer tonight, can you can you inspect it on Thursday or 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 Friday or whatever whatever the case exactly. be?" Exactly. All right. So, exactly. I mean, this market, Chris, re requires us to do a little more forward planning. All right, as we're as we're doing this, but. Um, Another thing came up the other day, and, and this is a good time to talk about it, is, you know, there's some people that are waiving inspections, all right, zero days inspections, yep. and, and that might be a problem.
because um, I, the insurance companies now are requiring a home inspection, a copy of the home inspection on any house that's 10 years or older. And not everyone, but they are. And I just ran into it where I had to wait to get the inspection uh, because it was being rehabbed and so forth. And the, the underwriting would not approve the loan until they had that inspection. So we gotta be really careful. We may have to do inspection for informational purposes only for, you know, for insurance, because otherwise you could be finding yourself two weeks before closing and all of a sudden they're getting insurance and they can't get it because they don't have a home inspection. Next, uh, loan approval timeframes, uh, like we talked about in the last class, making sure that your loan approval and your closing date line up. Don't mm -hmm. put a 30-day loan approval on a 30-day closing, because uh, if you have a good listing agent on the other side, they're going to say, we know you're probably going to need the loan approval at least three days prior to the closing to review your CD. So no, we're not doing that. You're not going to be able to cancel this contract the day of closing. Find out how soon the lender can provide loan approval. Give the seller at least five days, but typically five to 10 days where we have loan approval and then we go to close so that they're comfortable and confident moving out. You know, Make sure all of the dates line up. Make sure that you are diligent, having a critical date timeline, doing that, giving it to the buyer, giving it to the other agent on the other side. If you do these things and take control, it's going to set a better tone for everybody and everybody's going to have a better experience, not just a transaction. Right. Um, as is a residential contract with or without repair limits, best thing to do with this, call the agent. Well, the seller's requesting this mm, BS. The seller probably doesn't know the difference. You're just asking for it, but whatever they're asking for, as a buyer's agent now, give it to them. Or if you can prove to them why a different contract would be better, like if you can prove to them, look, and as is contract, there's tons of buyers writing contracts on four or five different homes at a time. They're gonna, you're gonna accept an as is contract and that buyer is gonna cancel potentially. My buyer can't. I want your seller to say they'll do $500 in repairs, $1,000 in repairs. We'll give you the 20 grand over asking. We cannot cancel the contract unless your seller is not willing to do all of the repairs that come up. It's something that's worth talking about. When you're putting all this together also, whether it's the as is a residential, go to the listing, grab all of the addenda, grab all of the attachments, have your pre-approval, present a complete executable offer. You don't want to present an incomplete offer. If they cannot execute your offer on the spot, I might be hesitant to accept it because there's others that are going to be just as good that might be complete. So do everything you can to put a complete offer and be sure to look at the realtor remarks or any attachments that talk about included and excluded items. If the seller says we're not including this, 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 and this, and the listing agent said, we've got multiple offers, your buyer probably doesn't want to ask for those items because it's going to be a, it might be a deal breaker for the seller. They really wanted that sentimental chandelier and the other person wrote it in as not included. You said you wanted it. That could be a deal breaker. So paying attention to those things are going to make sure that you get the best opportunity for your buyer. I see so many agents put in realtor remarks. This is not included. You know, this is excluded. I always have my sellers write it in, in the actual disclosures, the property disclosures. I have them write it in at, you know, at an empty spot, the chandelier, grandma chandelier in the dining room does not convey. That way they, you know, they, the, I can make sure that the buyers have actually seen that because I, the, the buyers never see the realtor remarks, you no. know? And if you don't have an agent who actually reads it and, and you have to be really good also 
when you get a contract and make sure that it's in the excluded personal items and you have notes of that, what's excluded when you're executing an offer, or you could be replacing grandma chandelier or something yep. like that. So. Absolutely. So right now, this is just for our specific market because of what's happening. We're talking about waiving appraisal contingencies or offering to pay more or offering to pay uh, paying a certain amount over the appraisal. So we have verbiage in dot loop for you. It's under our clauses section and it says, buyer agrees to pay X amount of dollars over the appraised value, not to exceed the contract price, or this contract is not contingent upon an appraisal. Buyer agrees to pay the contract price regardless of the outcome of the appraisal. Now, if you're a listing agent, make sure that the approval states that they have that call the agent or call the lender and talk to them does the buyer have additional funds if this appraises along what we think it might appraise for have those conversations up front uh, those are discussions to have but those are things that we're having buyers do to get these offers accepted and then like we mentioned in the last class offering to pay for the title policy so a title policy it's five dollars and 75 cents per thousand dollars plus 275 so, I mean, it's anywhere between, on a, on a median home price, it's, you know, between like, it's like $1,700, $1,800. So if the buyer is willing to, once they make that offer, it makes the seller have a higher net. And the property doesn't have to appraise any higher because you're taking a cost out of their pocket, not trying to put more money in on the price. Right. So and, it's, it's a good tool. Know, the only counties around here that actually the, the seller is, has been paying is Hillsborough, Pinellas, and Pasco. So the rest of Florida, the buyer pays pretty much. And, and by the way, in most states, the buyers pay for title. Okay. So next, what we're doing, emotional letters. Sometimes this isn't even enough. Sometimes you want to go further, write a, make a video. We had a buyer wanting to get an offer. They were a low down payment, like three or 5% down conventional offer. And they made a really strong, solid offer but there were better offers on the table. They noticed that the seller had a video room, a whole video set up. And he said, wow, this guy's, he does videos. He probably does YouTube, probably does something like that. Started doing a little research when they went back and looked at the home again. They shot a beautiful video and sent it over to him, talked to him about what they plan to do, tried to connect with him with all of the different features of the home and tell them what they loved and how excited they were. And they got their offer accepted and it wasn't the best offer because it really resonated with the seller. So write a letter, love letter, or shoot a video and send it over to them. It'll help to make a difference. Go on social media, find the seller on social media if you can, find out their likes and interests and try to play on that and touch on that in the letter or the video. Try to connect with them in that way. Definitely something worth doing. Mm -hmm. Good, so that's, uh, any other things that you want to mention on the buyer side? Because I think the next ones are going to jump into listing on a, in a multiple offer. No, that's pretty good. We, I think we pretty much did that. Okay. So listing, in a, this, is, this is a topic of discussion right now. Is listing and selling a home in one day really the best thing? Because we all see it. We see everybody putting it on the market, sold in two hours, you know, 20 offers in the first day, sold over asking price. Is that really the best thing? I, I don't think it is. What do you think? No, I mean, first of all, let, let's just talk about our, our schedules as realtors. And we're out in the field, a house comes on the market 
And, you know, our, we have a buyer who's blowing up our phone. We need to get to see it tonight. We go on, on MLS, we can't get an appointment. And then the next morning it goes under contract. So what in the world was that agent thinking of by knocking out possible other offers that might be better? Now, I'll, you know, let's take it. I've got a $500,000 house and someone walks in with $600,000 cash. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty damn good offer, uh, yeah. you know, 20% over, over the value of the house or whatever. And, and so the seller might go, hey, no appraisal, no, look, look, we're done. All right. And that's legitimate. But for the most part, that's not what's coming in and whatever. And I really think you do a disservice to the seller by not, by not maximizing exposure and possible offers. Well, even before that, even before we get to disservicing the seller, we're creating a for sale by owner market. If we're out there yes. telling every seller that's out there that we, you, we sold your home in a day, you could do it too. You don't need me. I didn't do anything except I just put, we're not, a lot of agents aren't even putting professional photography up, more pictures to come if it's not sold. I've seen that in the public remarks. So when they're putting up crappy photos and writing that in there because they're just putting it up and then trying to sell it, they're doing a complete disservice and are showing that homeowners that you don't need us, number one. Number two, we're keeping the inventory low. The more homes that we can get on the market and keep on the market, the more opportunities buyers have, we can bring that inventory up a little bit and give better opportunities to not only the seller, but the buyers and buyers agents. We're helping out the realtor community because you know how it feels when your buyer loses out on a home. You don't want to do that to another buyer's agent. You want to give them an opportunity to get their buyer in. No matter how crappy the offer is going to be, you want to give them that chance. And then, I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, like when I put that listing on yesterday, I had an offer by six o'clock. It was a good, but, and the, and the agent's like, I wanted to execute it by 10 PM. I said, good for you. I said, I, I think I would have 32 other people really upset with me that are already scheduled to see the house. All right. So you know, you've got to, a, I would like to be fair to people at least to be able to get their buyers in. Yes. Don't, don't create a market of a frenzy. Don't, there's no need for it. There's nothing special that that's going to be for that house. If it sells in three days or four days, it's, it, it there's no prize. Yeah, and if you're, and if you're going into the neighborhood saying, I just listed this home, I just sold the home. We sold it in three hours. What they're, they're thinking exactly. Well, what did you really do? So well, well, that's, yeah, that's the next thing. What'd you do for that? They're questioning the positioning of the home and the price that you put it up at. Could we have done more potentially, even though they're getting 10 grand more, they've heard about their friend making 30. And that's the direction that we're going. So what should you be doing as a listing agent when you're putting it on the market and the direction? Go ahead. No, first of all, what I always meet the client, you know, and, and just say, take a breath. It's not going on the market next week. Let's take a look at what we need to do. We, you know, we there are certain things you want to do to sell it quicker. Uh, that might be steam cleaning a carpet. You know, it might be replacing a carpet's cheap. You know, but when when a buyer walks in and goes, "Oh, this is new carpet," you know, or "Oh my God, I got to replace this before I move in." 
All right, so there are your two options, Mr. Seller. Which do you want the buyer to think of when they're walking in the home? Because as soon as you start giving them reasons to discount, that doesn't help your cause. So I always meet them. I walk around the house outside with them. I walk through the house. I, you know, I make notes. I ask them to make notes. And, and which ones do you think you can do? Uh, you know, depending on the time frame that this particular client I have now, we met in December and went through the whole house. And I said, this is, you know, and they were still, now this is April, still rushing at the end. I walked up two days before and I'm like, you got to paint this front door. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, so. So, so once we get through all of that and we get them all prepared, now it's time to go on market. Yes. And if we want to avoid the feeding frenzy as much as we can and the agent sending offers like you just got, I want an answer by 10 p.m. tonight, you'll still get them, but at least we have some grounds to stand on. Right. You have the seller right into the listing agreement or we write into the listing agreement. Century 21 Beggins is directed to open the property for showings for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I will not review any offers until Sunday evening and I will make a decision on Monday by noon. Right. And that allows us to say, okay, we're gonna put the property on the market Monday. The seller is unable to make any showings. Somewhere Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we get it on the market. The seller is unable to have any showings until Friday. So Friday, we open it up for showings. We do an open house all weekend and we tell everybody highest and best offers will be reviewed by 5 p.m. on Sunday. Please have them submitted by 5 p.m. We will review them Sunday evening. We will make a decision by Monday at noon and all parties will be notified. So, and if you do that, you're positioning the home on right. the market. We have at least Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to be able to market the home and get the best opportunities. Right. And what we're seeing, real quick story, I told this before, my cousin listed her home. She listed it on Wednesday. We listed it at 415, $415,000. Immediately offers 415 to 425 escalating, 415 to 435 escalating. That was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Offers were 415 to 430, 435. That's what they were at. Sunday by 5 p.m., we had three offers that were all 435, 445 escalating to 455, 465, and 475. So tell me that we did not put more money in the seller's pocket because of the way we strategically marketed and positioned that home. If she would have accepted the first few offers in the first five hours, first 24 hours, first 48 hours, she would have made 20 grand more than the list price. That's a good day. But if she listens to us and hires a professional that does what we do, we were going to put fifty dollars to $60,000 more in her pocket. We doubled what somebody else was going to. Plus, we knew what to do about appraisal contingencies and stuff like that that a lot of other agents don't. I mean, I know that agent who sent me an offer for a $1,000 deposit doesn't know anything about appraisal contingency. So, you know, uh, there is... You know, educating yourself and understanding the market is really our job. That's yes, our yes. job. That's what they're paying us for. Yep. So don't be afraid to ask for these things. Do not be afraid to go back to a buyer. So something I'm addressing with some of our listing agents is as Sunday comes around, should I be going back to every other offer? Even though it says in realtor remarks how the process is going to go, even though it says in showing instructions how the process is going to go, I would be going back to every agent 
saying, thank you so much for your offer. We will be reviewing offers this evening. Is this going to be your buyer's highest and best offer? Even if they know it, I'm just going to put it out there and ask them. Create a little bit more of a frenzy. Get some more buzz going on the property. Get them thinking, wow, they're asking me, maybe my offer isn't the best. Maybe we need to come up a little bit. Maybe we need to change it. Is your buyer willing to waive their appraisal contingency or pay any more than the appraisal contingency? Ask the questions. Ask them, what's the worst answer going to be? No, you're going to have an offer that will. It's okay. Ask the questions. It's happening all over the place. So ask the buyer's agent, is your buyer willing to do these things to get this offer? No, they're not. Okay. Sounds good. I'll present what I have. I mean, a little bit of our job is sales, right? I mean, yep. setting that expectation, but also it's the marketing. It's, 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 you know, they can't have what's available, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's, Somebody needs to have, they want it and how much are they willing to pay for it? And, and never, no one always goes in with their best offer when they, you know, even when I'm doing an offer with an escalation clause and we sit and we're talking with a buyer about it, I tell them, this is where you make a decision of what you want to, the most you want to pay. And that at that point, you don't want it anymore. It's, in your, it's not a value to you. Yep. So therefore, it's not a big emotional thing. You put your best foot forward and you didn't get it. Yep. So just, it's- Just a, remember, as a, you know, it's okay to ask these things because you, you mm -hmm. have the leverage as the seller and the listing agent. Right. And all the buyers are thinking all of those things on the other side, like Joe was stating. And he who has the gold makes the rules. And your sellers right now have the gold. So That's do right. not be afraid to leverage that. Do not be afraid to, to step the game up a little bit and ask those questions. What's the worst they're going to say? No. And by, and by the way, if you have an offer that's really good and doesn't quite meet your seller's term, pick up the phone and say, hey, are your buyers willing to live with this date for a closing date? Yep, absolutely. Because Just because they submit an that, offer. You punted that ball back to the buyers, right? Here's the ball. Now, if you can catch it and throw it back or you can drop it. Which one do you want to do? Or, or replying to every agent saying, thank you so much for your offer. And if you did not have the conversation with them, just so you're aware, the perfect closing date for the seller is, the perfect terms for the seller is, the seller's really looking for someone to do this. The seller really would like someone that's going to do this. If your buyer can submit an offer like that, it will put them in a better position. Ask, you have the gold, leverage it. Make sure that you're getting exactly what the seller wants because that's what they hired us to do and you're a single agent for them. And then talking about pricing, run it up the flagpole and see who salutes. The only issue that I have with this is make sure you have a proper pricing analysis that shows where the price should be. Mm -hmm. This is what the average market showing what has sold, this is where your price should be. Now, most other homes, it looks like in the last 30 days have sold higher than that each time, but this is where you should be. We'll probably get multiple offers. We'll probably this, but this is where you should be. It's almost to the point where, where would you like to list it? We can list it wherever you would like, but as long as you understand this is where your price should be. And if they don't salute at this price, you need to be prepared to make the adjustments. You know, there, there's this thing where you can say to your seller, here's, here's the range. If you put it here, you're going to have a lot more people looking at it. If you put it, you know, the higher you go in price, the less people that are able to, to do it. It's a pyramid, right? So the, yep. the top of the pyramid is smaller than the bottom of the pyramid. So you yep. got to know where you are in the market in, on that pyramid.
You know, if you're at 340,000, that's a different spot than 580. All right. Yep. So, so you, you got to also understand, you know, where you are in that pyramid. Yeah. So something to consider a lot. I hear a lot of people saying, why would I do a certified pre-loved home? Uh, because we're getting so many offers. The buyers are waiving inspections. And I get that to an extent. But also what happens when you put a home on the market that's been inspected, that's been disclosed of everything, everything's been addressed, fixed or disclosed. You're showing your buyer that you have the absolute best product on the market. It's already ready to go. If you're gonna pay 20 to 50,000 more for a home, this is the one to do it on. It's getting the buyer more confident to waive inspections, getting the buyer more confident to pay more than the appraised value, to waive appraisal contingencies. This simple tool paying five to $700 for an inspection is going to set you apart and give the buyer more confidence to push that price up. If they're willing to pay more for something that's, that's gonna be a gem, a flawless diamond than the one that has some flaws in it and they're not really sure. Uh, a, a, a few years ago, I had a buyer looking in the Temple Terrace area and we found a house that was beautiful. It had, so, the people bought it two years before and they were moving and needed to sell it. We got it. We, it was some negotiating back and forth and we, we got about $10,000 off the asking price. We went and did our inspection. The electric panel had, was recalled. So they had to replace the electric panel and the sellers are like, well, we had an inspection and they didn't call that. Not only did they have to replace the electric panel, but they had other work electrical to do in order to connect it to the new panel. It ended up costing them $4,000. I much rather know that before I list the house, because then I can incorporate that into my price then get surprised because I negotiated an offer as a seller and know what my net is. Now my net is $4,000 less than what I thought. And yep. I'm not a happy camper. So, so let's see, we got, a, we got a few minutes left. So I'm gonna oh, jump into these uh, spreadsheets so we can make yes. sure we hit these. So yep. this is these are some of the tools that you can use. So we have a, a multiple offer worksheet. This is what I would recommend in an off in a situation where you've got 30 to 50 offers. We have this multiple offer Excel sheet. All you're going to do, because it's such a pain to carry around all of these contracts, write them down somewhere. I've got fumbling through all of these different documents. List every single offer that you get. Number one, this is going to show that this is where every offer is. This form was presented to the seller and we went down and highlighted and checked off every single one that stood out, what makes sense to them, what doesn't. And then once you have your top five or six offers that are gonna be up for consideration, then you come over here to a multiple offer cost estimator and you have got your six best offers between 500 and 400, whatever the numbers are gonna be. Does, it works out the cost for you, all the costs, the same way our cost estimator that they showed you yesterday does, but now it's, a, it's for multiple offers. You can change the price up top, and then you can compare the terms of those down here at the bottom. So you've got all of the price, all of the terms of the top six offers, uh, all top six offers on this one sheet for you to go through and say, this is how much you're going to make. These are the absolute best offers that were there as we discussed because we reviewed all of them and checked and highlighted each one. 
this is going to be the best possible offer for you based on what we've discussed. And now they can see exactly what they're going to make from having those highest and best offers that were presented. Right. I developed that spreadsheet oh, about four or five years ago when I had 10 offers on a house and I couldn't, I mean, I'm sitting there with 10 offers and how do you, how do you write? So I just made this spreadsheet up and I'm sharing with everybody because in this market, yep. uh, Jessica had 52, 52 <laughs> offers and she used this spreadsheet. She called me on the phones like, thank you, because it, because you can, you know, you can sort this any, it's an Excel spreadsheet. So you can sort it any way you want. Yep. And then that way you can very quickly see what your top five or six offers are. Yeah. And this is basically every blank in the contract is going to be filled in here. Yeah. So you don't have to print out a 12 page contract and carry 52 of them with you. You bring this with you right. and you have them digital. Then yeah. when you have the best ones, you put this together here. Uh, Jimmy and I put this together so we can compare multiple offers and you go through and it gives you the best, the best offer. Here's the net for each one. Right. And it puts it all together. Right. So the other things we've basically talked about uh, positioning the property on the market. Yeah, the question, um, Chris, where are they? Are has um... we can share them out? So right now, I do. I know that uh, I know the the, the all multiple offer one is in Google Drive. I'll share it to the team, and I'll put the Excel one in there, and I'll share okay. that to the team as well, so it's accessible. Okay. If you download or take anything from Google Drive, just make a copy of it because the original one is what's going to be shared. We'll make sure that there's no editing rights on it, but. You know, we're running down to the end. I'm just going to peruse over this, make sure that there's nothing else because we've talked, we've hit both sides of, from the seller and the buyer side through this. Mm -hmm. uh, just understanding price isn't the only blank right now. Price, you can offer me, you know, for a 350 listing, you can offer me 380. But if you're not willing to waive an appraisal and somebody offering 370 is, that might be the better offer. So just consider that a price is not the only blank on the contract. And, and sometimes, you know, people will call you and go, but, but I offered you 380 on the 300, but yes. it's only one term of the contract. So, you know, there's a lot of other terms. You're right. Well, we also did mention last class, is a backup offer the best thing for a seller right now? And in my opinion, I don't think it is. Because if, if your buyer is going to, if you're going to accept an as-is contract or a residential contract and you have a loan approval timeframe and the buyer cancels three weeks later, 30 days later, more than likely that home is worth more three weeks or 30 days later than it was at the time you received all of those offers. So, so, so when I pulled the re reports for, you know, March or March, eight, February into March, our average home price went from 305 to 3, 335. All right. So that's that's a one percent, you know, that's a one percent jump. Um, you really, you know, basically last year prices went up 14 percent in, in Hillsborough. So in that case, that's more than one percent a month. So you're right, Chris. It doesn't make sense to to take a backup offer. And it's higher. And a, and a seller doesn't have to take a backup offer. No. And as a buyer's agent, you want your buyer to have a backup offer right. because you can hedge against appreciation if you can That's get right. it under contract now. And if the buyer, if the current buyer cancels, you slide in in first position 30 days later. Right. So you're, you're hedging against those bets and it's putting your buyer in a better position. So, so right now for a seller, Repair limits is probably a better contract to accept. 
if you're going to make 20 grand more on a home, 10,000 more on a home, 40,000 more on a home, is it really that big of a deal if you commit to doing $1,000 in repairs? If it means that that buyer cannot cancel in their sole discretion for absolutely no reason. With the as-is contract, the buyer can cancel in their sole discretion, the most important verbiage there, in their sole discretion, they don't even have to do an inspection. They can write 10 offers on homes, get all 10 of them accepted, pick their favorite and cancel on it on the last day of inspections. So if your seller does not wanna be put in that position, accept a contract with repair limits, that's 10, 20, 30 grand more than the list price, do $1,000 in repairs. Now your seller has the option. If I wanna keep this buyer, I can agree to do all of the repairs and force them to buy the home if all of those repairs make sense. Or you can go back on market. It gives the seller the power so they're not just left hanging when a buyer decides they're gonna and cancel. Yeah. I mean, the, the as-is contract is really a unilateral contract for the first whatever days of your, of your um due diligence, right? But uh, but the regular FAR bar is a bilateral contract. Correct. So it doesn't give either party more power than the other in the contract. And you do, you're gonna have to explain that. I mean, on my new listing, I have in real remarks, do not submit on as is contract, submit on regular FAR bar contract, all right? Because I don't want my sellers who, who have to move because they're transferring, I don't want a contract 10 days from now to cancel. You know, right, I right. want to hold the buyer in it. If you want it, cough up because yep. we're going to put it on their contract.